Amen. All right, what I want you to do to start off this morning is I want you to turn to the person next to you or behind you or whatever you want to do. I want you to tell them your favorite Christmas gift that you unwrapped. Go. Favorite Christmas gift. Got to think about it. All right, how many of you picked something or thought of something, if you already thought of it, and it was from your childhood? Raise your hand. All right, a few of you, good. How many of you, was it from the last few years? Okay. How many of it was a toy or a video game console? All right, a couple of you, good. How many of it was a tool? Yeah, we got one, nice. <laughs> Mine was when I was 15, about to be 16 years old, and it was in this little box, and I was at my aunt's house for Christmas Eve, and I'm unwrapping it, and it's one of those boxes that has another box, has another box, one of those things, and it starts to ring, and I'm like, what in the world? And I open out of my box, and it was my first cell phone. It was a Nokia. Remember those little Nokia phones that are kind of like a block that looked like this? I was so excited because I was driving soon, and so that was my favorite. Second favorite, Nintendo 64. That's right. I just showed you my age, but that's okay. I wonder for you, when you think about receiving that gift, your favorite gift, what kind of memories flood your heart, how it felt to unpackage that gift. I know for me, again, I was really excited, but I bet you that receiving that gift was fun and exciting. But I bet you it didn't change your life. Now, maybe for some of you, you got something like that. But most of us, when we receive a gift, it doesn't change our lives. It's fun, but that's about pretty much what it is. But there's something that you and I can do in order to change someone else's life. And around this time, we can ask for a lot of things, or we can give a lot of things. And I bet you that giving is more impactful, not just in the other person's life, but in your life, than it is to receive. And so for the next few moments, I want to look at a popular story in Scripture, especially around this time in Matthew 2. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 2. And as we do that, I want to think about this bottom line truth. Getting can be fun, but giving can be fulfilling. That getting something is exciting and fun, but to give something is fulfilling. It's life-changing. And I want to look at that through the lens of a story in Matthew chapter 2. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. It's a little bit longer story, so I'll have it on the, uh, the screens for you. And I want you to notice, I'm going to point out three characters in this story and their responses to Jesus. Three characters in this story and their three different, very different responses to Jesus. All right, so let's jump in. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. There's our first character. About the time, some wise men, our second character from eastern lands, uh, arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. 
King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers, our third character, of the religious law, and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. After the interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened the treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them dream not to return to Herod. Fascinating story that I want to break down for you for the next few moments. There is three responses in this story that we'll tease out. That not only are the responses that you and I can have when it comes to Jesus, but it's their responses as well. And I want to see, and I want to challenge us this morning to see where we are at in light of these three characters and see which ones we resemble the most. So the first character is a guy named Herod. King Herod, as we saw in the story. And now, if you were to come to my house and you were dressed in Steelers gear, you would be booed very loudly in our house. Sorry, all you Steeler fans. I know you're 11 and 0. You don't have to throw that in my face, okay? But in our house, we're a Browns house. Now, if you were to go and talk to the Jews back then, you wanted to hear boos, just mention King Herod's name. Because the Jews did not like King Herod. In fact, Herod wasn't even a king. He was given the position, but he started to call himself King of the Jews. He wasn't a king, nor he was he Jew. It was a title that he bestowed upon himself because he looked at himself like a king. He wanted to hold that power over the Jews. The second boo that you would often hear from the Jews is that this man was a terrible tyrant. He was unfair. He was mean. He was miserable to be under. So the Jews, they didn't like him. But what you read in the story about Herod that's very interesting is did you notice his response when we see that he hears about Jesus? He knows that Jesus ought to be worshipped. And what does he say? He, he's disturbed, it says about him. He was disturbed by the fact that he had to go and bow down to somebody else. You see, he liked to be bowed down to. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be the king. He didn't want to have to go bow down to another king. And so he pushed Jesus away. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus because why should he have to worship him? I think about our lives. You may not be a Christ follower here for that very reason. You like reading about Jesus. You like that he was a good guy. You like that he was nice. You like that he did a lot of things. And you want to be like him. I want to be like Jesus too. The problem is when you read the Gospels, when you read about Jesus, you can't just like him. He doesn't allow for that. He wants to be worshipped. 
And so many of us say, you know what? I want to be in control. I want to be the king, so to speak. And I don't want to worship anything else but Jesus. While that is your right, that is one response to Jesus. To push him away, to not want anything to do with worshiping him. And we see that with Herod. The second character is a little bit tricky to figure out. Because the religious leaders of the day were called upon by King Herod to say, Hey, look, you guys know the scriptures. You know about this Jesus. Tell me about him. And they knew, right? They knew exactly the prophecies of Jesus. And so they said, Hey, this Jesus guy, he's going to be born here. And this is who he is. But did you notice anything else about the religious leaders? You don't. That's a problem. What's interesting is all the people who should be pumped up that the Messiah was born should be the religious leaders. They've been studying. They've been praying. They've known about this Messiah to be born. And finally, he is born. And instead of going to where he's at, which is only a few miles away, they don't really care. They're apathetic. They yawn at Jesus being born. Which is so interesting. Because you would think they would be the ones telling Herod, there he is, we gotta go, we gotta go worship this guy. And yet they really didn't care one way or another. That's the response that if we're honest, you and I may have on a daily basis and we may not even know it. That's the scary part. Sometimes we yawn at Jesus. He's there, we know he is. Christmas is coming, we're gonna celebrate his birth. Spoiler alert, a few months later we're gonna celebrate his death and resurrection. On Sundays we have church, we know scripture, we have these things. We grew up going to CCD, we grew up going to Catholic school, or we went to a Christian school, or had to go to a Christian college, or, or whatever it is, but we just yawn at Jesus now. We don't really care. Like, we're here today, but I'd rather be doing something else. I read the Bible, and I could tell you all the things in it, but I don't really let it affect my life. It's not changing me from the inside out. I can fall into that category very quickly, which is sad to say because I'm a pastor, but I work in a church, look, I, I prepare messages, I counsel people, and if I'm not careful, I can tell you a lot about Jesus, but sometimes I can't always tell you what Jesus is doing in my life. And if you're a Christ follower, you need to be asking yourself, is Jesus just a part of my life, like church, or is he my life? For the religious leaders, they didn't really care. The third character that I love, the wise men, are known as magi. We don't know a lot about magi. We know they're from Persia. We know they were great philosophers and teachers and learners. We knew they knew a lot about math, religion, and astronomy, which makes a lot of sense because when they saw the star, they knew, ha, something's up with that. <laughs> we need to go follow that. And they figured out that the star led them to Jesus and they cared so much about Jesus, they traveled 900 miles, which for us, we can jump in a car and get there in nine hours. But for them, it took them days and days and days. They can only travel between 10 and 20 miles a day, and yet they went for it. And not only did they give their time and did they give up their energy, they gave up their finances. They gave up their money to buy gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to present to Jesus because they recognize that God gave them Jesus and so they want to give back to him. I love that part of the story. So to recap, you, you and I have three responses. We can 
push Jesus away. And many of us are doing that right now. We like Jesus. We don't want to love Jesus. We don't want to worship him. Some of us are yawning at Jesus. We're apathetic right now. Sure, we read the Bible in the morning. Sure, we come to church on Sunday. Sure, we'll take communion in a little while. But other than that, I'm still doing my thing. Or like the wise men, we can give. We can give of ourselves because of who Jesus is. So for the next few moments, I want to tell you why the Magi's response should be our response if we're Christ followers. So why do we do this? Irregardless if you are a Christ follower or not, there's something awesome about giving. While it is going to be great to receive gifts this year, I want to receive gifts. I'm not going to lie. Like, if you want to know what I want, come and tell me or ask me. I will tell you a list. But I'm excited to give. I'm not doing that because I have to, or my wife will be frustrated with me, or my kids will be disappointed. I give because I want to. Because where our treasure is, so our heart will be. My heart is to give, and I want to reflect that with what I have. And even if you're not a Christian, you know that giving, it just feels good. Well, the reason is because God created you to do so. You hardwired after him, made in his image. Someone once said, there's never a time we're more like God than when we give. It's so true. The greatest characteristic of God, I shouldn't say the greatest, it's one of the greatest, but it's the most repeated in Scripture over and over and over again, is the word give, or gave, or is given. You look at the Old Testament through the New Testament, circle in your Bible, you'll see give, give, gave, gave, has given, has given. And we see that in the most famous verse of Scripture. When they used to have people in stadiums, remember those days? And someone kicks a field goal, you see a guy holding up a sign, usually it's John 3.16. John 3, 6 says, for God so loved the world that he gave, gave his only son that we may have eternal life. He's a giver, which is why when you and I give, yes, it feels good, but more so we're reflecting the character of God. We're doing what we're made to do. Second reason why we have to give. Because we're giving in response to what God has given us. See, the wise men, they have a revelation from God. Holy smokes, look at that. Something big's happening. Let's go find out. And in response to that, they gave. But we don't have to look at a star. All we need to do is look at the cross. God gave us Jesus. And we see that and we know that. And so in response to Jesus giving his life for him, surely we would give ourselves back to him. In all aspects of life, from our treasure, to our time, to our talent, and everything in between. And you know what's interesting? As you follow Jesus, the more that you want to give, why is that? Not just because you're made in the image of God, but because the Spirit is inside of you. When you follow Jesus, His Spirit takes residence in your life. And you are still being you, but you're being shaped in the character of Christ. And Christ's character is to give. So the more we give and the more excited we are, it shows us the more we're becoming like Jesus through his spirit. That's why we give. That's why we want our response, not to be someone that pushes Jesus away or or is apathetic to Jesus, but gives like the wise men did. How do you do that? Scripture's clear. Matthew 25, Jesus says, you give to the least of these, you give to me. 
When you and I give to people that don't have anything, Jesus is receiving it as if you're giving it to him himself. I love that. Or you go to the book of James. James is faith and action working together. What they're saying is, look, if you don't have action coming from your faith, how do you really know Jesus? And when you give, it's proof that Jesus is in you. So give so that your faith is authentic and real, James says. Or 1 John. We just studied 1 John as a church a few weeks ago. You read 1 John 3. It's very clear. We give because God has given to us. It's proof of our faith. He says, how can you see someone in need and not give to them? Really, you can't because of who Jesus is and our response to him. It's clear throughout scripture. So specifically, how we do that? Well, right around this time, there's a lot of avenues to do that. And yet what I want to do over the next few moments is I just want to inspire you. I want to tell you stories. I want to show you pictures. I want to catch you up on what has been happening at the chapel. See, if you're newer to the chapel, you've, heard, you've never heard me say this, but if you've been around, you have. The chapel does not want to be the best church in the community, in the world. If you're familiar with sports, oftentimes after a week of sports, they put out power rankings, and they put the top five teams or so, and then, of course, the, the, the following teams, but you want to be in the top five of what is the best team. Well, we don't have a church power rankings, nor do we care about that. We have some really, really good churches in our communities. I love that. We don't want to be the best church in the community. We want to be the best church for the community. And if it's true that the way we show it is by giving, then we should have stories upon stories upon stories of how we have been for the community as a church. And we do. I have a privileged seat as one of the lead pastors at the chapel of seeing these stories come in. And I get so overwhelmed by them. But usually I get to hear one or two stories, but today you're going to get lots of them. So buckle up. It's going to be great. Over the next few moments, I, I want to turn you, your attention to this document. You'll be getting in the mail. If you haven't, check your mail this week. We just sent them out at the end of last week. And every year we put out an annual report to tell you, here's what we have done with your generosity at the chapel. Now this is a different report. Even when you open it up, you're going to see lots of words that represent 2020 because 2020 has been crazy. There's been a lot of bad things that have come out of 2020. A lot of challenges. A lot of things we've never faced. But there's been a lot of good. And that's because, and this is what our, our end of the year report's called, Be the Good. How can we do something? And so what I want to tell you is in this document, you're going to see stories. And I just want to highlight a few of them today. Again, this isn't to brag about the chapel. This is to show you what God is doing in this church through his people, through you. And I'm thrilled to be able to share it with you. These pictures are just beautiful. This is our Sandusky campus over here to the left. You can see these cars are all the way lined up. And if you could see all the way back through here, there's another building over here all the way wrapped around. Pastor Todd and I are all the way at this other building. This is one of our first meal giveaways that we did. Two at Sandusky, one in Norwalk, and one on our other campus in Fort Clinton. And people in the church gave meals so we could meet people right where they're at, those who are struggling. We asked that people would come that lost their job or their job was reduced because of COVID and we wanted to bless you with a meal. And then we had our staff 
uh, pray for them as they were leaving if they wanted to. We were able to serve, as three campuses, 1,700 meals for people in our communities. Just blown away by that, by the generosity. Over probably around April or May, um, we had so many people overwhelmingly say, hey guys, you guys need to set up an account at the church because we want to give and we want to help people in need. We know there's so many needs. We don't know where to give. So church, would you open up an account, let us give, and then you decide what you want to do with it. All the needs. So we told you guys about it. And I'm blown away to tell you, $89,000 came in in all three campuses for this fund. I'm just telling you. I can't tell you how many times I walked through the front doors of our Varsity campus to go to my office, and I was saying hi to somebody I didn't know who was filling out an assistant request because they needed help. We were able to help pay people's bills. We were help get them transportation. We were able to help local churches and then places around the world that needed help from the chapel because of that. And that count has not been depleted yet. We still are going to be helping people because it's not, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I love that. I love this picture. Some of our, we have a Norwalk friend over here, and this is a picture of, uh, we asked if you want to bring in food, and you sure did. At all three of our campuses, we were able to get tons and tons of food and take those to local food banks who needed to resupply. This is a picture of some of our uh, village that we've adopted in Muganyuzi, Burundi. We've been there for many, many, many years. And that's a picture of some of our friends in India that we support as well. There were some COVID-related uh, struggles that they were facing. We were able to help them. In particular, in India, there were 20 families that got hit hard in the village from COVID. We heard about that. We decided to help, and here's how we did that. A few months ago, we said, if anybody wants to buy some chapel swag, some sweatshirts, some hats, some coats, and things like that. Not coats. Sweatshirts, hats, shirts, some other things. And if you were to do that, we told you that None of the prophets go to the chapel. We're going to send that out to somebody in need. Well, right when we were deciding to do that, we heard that this village had a terrible COVID um, infection. And so we were able to help these families in that village through your swag purchase. This is a special picture to me. Um, that beautiful lady over here is my mother and our friend and my aunt back there. And then another friend who uh, faithfully went to the Salvation Army behind the scenes and just passed out groceries. And I know so many of you did that at local area uh, food banks and different nonprofits around town. And what an amazing, amazing thing to give up your time during these trying months to help people in need. One of my favorite events that we started at the chapel in February when we could gather without masks. Remember when we used to do that? This is our, this is our widow's luncheon. And between all three campuses, we were able to serve well over 100 widows. What I love about this particularly is we see in Scripture in James says, if you want to see that your faith is true and pure, give. How do you give? You give to orphans and widows, those who can't usually get much from people. You take care of them. And we were able to do that with our friends who otherwise would have had a lonely Valentine's Day. This is a representation of our short-term missions. We weren't able to send um, a lot this past year, but over the last three years, we were able to send 213 people from all three of our campuses around the globe to serve Jesus. What an amazing, amazing thing. 
this is incredible. We told you over the last few years that as we were giving to our community, or to our uh, village in Buganyuzi in Burundi, we wanted to build them a community center. And what we can do with that is you see this long corridor right here, that's classrooms for our village. But what's even more impactful is this community center over here, not only can our village use it, they can rent it out and they can gain income from that. So they can be self-sufficient. And that's what our goal is as a church, to help them be self-sufficient. And so we were able to help build that through the chapel. These pictures to me are incredible. Every year we do shoeboxes. And I'm going to tell you honestly, when I knew we were going to do shoeboxes this year, I was like, well, we'll probably get about 100 or 200 because we don't have as many people coming through our doors right now. And we understand that. And then Pat Rockwell, who is on our staff, did such a great job leading the teams. She reported back this past week that we had well over 1,000 shoeboxes come in. And what blows my mind is this girl's response here with like a Dollar General toy that cost us $2 to give her will make her year. Because of your generosity, you're going to change someone's Christmas around the world. It just blows me away. We told you a few months ago, about a month, month and a half ago actually, we said, hey, there's needs. We want to tell you about those. At Abigail Pregnancy Center or Nehemiah in Sandusky or Lighthouse Sober Living in Port Clinton or around the world in India, Burundi, Cuba, Mexico. We told you those needs. We want to bring joy to the world. And, and you guys donated $9,000 to these uh, partners that we have in our communities and around the world. We, a couple weeks ago, we wanted, we wanted to sh show generosity to our community, but we wanted to do it secretively. We didn't want to say, hey, the chapel, blah, 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 because it's not about us. It's about God. And we wanted him to get the glory. So we asked that you would take a $20 gift card. We passed these out a couple weeks ago. Uh, Walmart here, Meyer and Sandusky, and then Kroger and Port Clinton. And we said, just go bless people. And we were able to pass out in our churches and to other churches who maybe couldn't have done it, 723 gift cards. 723 people or families are going to receive a $20 gift card from the chapel because they're going to see more about God's love. It's amazing. And we want to hear your stories. So continue to share your stories at stories at the chapel.family. Send us an email. That night we went home and I said, all right, Paula, around the dinner table, let's talk about what we want to do. And we let our kids decide. And I was a little worried what they would say because they're little and how spiritual can they be, right? Well, God likes to humble people, doesn't he? My six-year-old Micah says, I want to give it to this kid. I knew exactly why he wanted to. He had his grandmother as a preschool teacher. When we went to Furry Elementary at Perkins, he would see his grandma and his mom drop him off and pick him up at school. And he had special needs. And my son wants to give to that family, which I'm so proud of. That's one family who I don't even know if they go to church are going to hear about God's love just through a $20 gift card. I love that we're so generous in that way. We told you about the Steltzers a couple weeks ago. They're on um, a part of our missions now at the chapel that we brought them on and we're supporting them going to Central Asia. And they go to our Port Clinton campus and they'll be leaving in a few months and we get to sponsor them and could have a footprint of the chapel in Central Asia. And then finally, these pictures just represent your every week giving. I can't tell you how amazing it is to see kids and students specifically, of course adults too, but to see kids and students specifically's lives change because of your generosity on a weekly basis. That's why we're meant to give. These stories, I'm hoping, are a shot to your soul. Because all I see 
in today's media and talking to people is, this is bad or this is terrible. Or I walk around kind of with a cloud over me half the time. And then I hear these stories. I'm like, God, you are up to something amazing. And you chose the chapel to do so. Why do we give? Because Jesus gave his life away to us. We want to end our service by celebrating that this morning. So if you have your communion, would you pull that out, please? Maybe yours is in your cardigan sweater like mine is. This represents the true king of the Jews who was born into this broken world. If you don't, yeah, we have some extras in the back. You need to get up and grab some of those. He came to this world. He was perfect and sinless because you and I can never be. And he took our place on the cross. And three days later, he rose again. He gave himself to us. How can we not give ourselves back to him? And that's what communion represents. So take this little plastic tab off right here and grab communion. This is the bread and the, the wafer. And this represents Jesus on the cross giving away his body, which was broken and pierced and marred so that you and I may be whole. Let's do this to remember Jesus together. And if you pull up on the whole metal little silver tab right here, just be careful, do it away from you. This is the juice. This juice represents the blood that was spilled from Christ's body that Jesus said, he did so that we may be reconciled with our heavenly father. He gave of himself so we can be whole. May we give ourselves back to him. Let's do this to remember Jesus. Lord, we give ourselves back to you. You gave so we can give. You gave so we could taste what it feels like and means to give our lives away. There is nothing more God-like and Jesus-like than to give of our time, of our talents, of our treasure, and our lives. Lord, free us to give ourselves away, for that is what life is truly about. Thank you for thrilling our hearts this morning, for what you're doing in our community around the world, and you chose the chapel to be a part of that. We praise you, and we thank you. We give ourselves away to you this morning. Do in us what we can never do in ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we want to dismiss you. So just would you just stay seated and we're going to dismiss you row by row. Have a fantastic.